0: You wouldn't believe how fast the service goes by when you're up to preach, it's like already time. We are in the book of Matthew chapter 6, that's page 811 in the Pew Bibles, and it's also printed in your bulletin. Um, I have a confession before we really get into this passage. It's the first time I'm preaching on the words of Jesus himself. I usually, I find it so easy to read Paul because he lays things out like a lawyer, almost, and I'm drawn to that. And all, all scripture does have the same authority, and no section is worth paying attention to more than another, but some are definitely harder to tackle. Um, personally, I've always, uh, often have been perplexed by the words of Jesus. He doesn't speak like everybody else. But I found these words so beautiful as, w- as I was preparing this week. And I hope in our time that you're going to be drawn to him and that his words are going to be precious to you, whether you understand them right away or whether you find yourself having to really ask for help to discern them and have your eyes open. So we are reading in the middle of what's known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus is teaching about living in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. We talk about God ruling and reigning over this world, and certainly he's sovereign over everything. But Jesus speaking, he's speaking here in Matthew about a subset of God's kingdom where he rules specially over the people that he has redeemed for himself. And Jesus is spurring our desire to be part of that kingdom and telling his followers how to live as part of it. He's teaching both those inside and outside the kingdom just as a preacher always addresses Christians and non-Christians as well as people who think they're Christians and aren't. In our passage, beginning in verse 19, he's giving instruction about where to place our ultimate value and our loyalty. And then he links our loyalty to our trust and our security in God. Please read with me, uh, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us as we seek to understand it. Help me as I speak, that my words would be clear. Help everyone as they listen, uh, that we would know what it means for us and how we can trust you with our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm sure you've heard the cliched expression, can't see the forest for the trees. A few years ago, we did a course here called Financial Peace University, which I'm sure we'll do in the future again. And it was that course that really spurred me on to start taking care of my financial house, to get myself in order. And that became a focus after that. I would devise ways to pay off debt quickly. What can I go without so that I can really pay off all the student loans or car loans or credit cards? And not, it didn't take too long before I got sidetracked by that. My goal was to be free financially so that I could live more fully for God. But eventually, what was right in front of me became the focus. Couldn't see the forest for the trees. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves just consumed with the concerns of this world. and crowds out what's really important. We all tend to live for this present world. And so we worry about the future. We tether ourselves to the here and now. As we're going to see in this passage, truly worshiping God gives us an eternal perspective that frees us from anxiety. We're going to focus on Jesus teaching about worship in verses 19 through 24 and Jesus teaching about worry in verses 25 through 34. And then we'll draw some applications for our lives out of this teaching. First, Jesus teaches us about worship, about what we value. He commands us not to lay up treasures on earth. Verse 19, he describes the earth as a place where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Everything we can collect in this world is transient. If you lay up treasure on this earth, you are going to suffer loss. So if you've ever found your ultimate delight in worldly things, and most of us here have at some point, you've experienced what it is to lay up treasures on earth. Maybe you value your reputation or wealth, or respectable education above everything else. So you focus on those things, you center on those things. If you go for a promotion at work, you strive to lay up enough favor in your boss's eyes for that payoff. If you're trying to get into a good college, you think of ways to impress the admissions office. And you lay up extracurricular activities and community service. You're hoping for that letter of acceptance. Or maybe you've tried to make a sports team, try to make it onto the team During exercises, you try to stand out and impress the coach. I'm sorry that Mark Dodd is sick because I could talk about laying up actual layups at basketball tryouts. That'd be a Mark But you're chasing the things of this world. These are all good goals to work toward, but if you make them ultimate, you're going to be devastated when you lose them. Your job can be taken away more quickly than you got it. You can easily not get into the college of your choice. Or maybe you don't make it on the team. Or if you make it, you're benched the whole season and all your dreams of being the MVP are dashed. If you find your ultimate worth in these things, you're going to be devastated when you lose them. Instead, Jesus commands us to lay up treasures in heaven. Look at verse 20, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal so you live for what will last forever. Spend your life on what's eternal. Moth and rust and thieves cannot touch spiritual riches. Don't miss the fact that these treasures he speaks of, they're not material things. Um, Even in heaven, they're not material things. I used to have this idea that, you know, while we're doing good things here on earth, there's some storeroom in heaven where gold and sparkly medieval treasures are like popping into existence. It's, it's not like that. It goes, this is speaking straight to what our hearts worship. By telling us to lay up treasures in heaven, Jesus is calling us, he's really calling us to value him above everything. To center our hearts on the one who is eternally good and cannot be lost. The Apostle Paul knew what laying up treasures in heaven Meant. He said he counted all earthly recognition and accomplishments as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And for the Christian, Jesus is going to be the great joy of heaven for all eternity. So to know and obey him in this life is truly to live with an eternal perspective. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever or whomever you live for is what you worship. You serve it. And you center on it. The next metaphor uses a bit more abstract. He speaks about the eye being the lamp of the body. And I could spend a lot of time here, but I won't. I did include a quotation on the front of the bulletin that you should read later. Um, it's by John Piper, and I've given you the title. Uh, you can look up uh, his article where that comes from. But to make it short, Jesus is speaking here of spiritual sight, the ability to see what's truly valuable. Read verses 22 and 23 again with me. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, what you see as good informs your whole life. If, you, if what you count as valuable is really something that's valuable, namely God, then you see clearly. Your life is illuminated. But if you count petty earthly things as valuable, you're really in the dark. Next in verse 24, Jesus uses this metaphor of slavery, two masters. You can't equally serve two different masters. You're growing to prefer one or the other. He says you can't serve God and money. And this word for money, it's a Greek word that meant material possessions. You can't put your stock in earthly things and truly have your heart centered on God fully. But how does our heart change? How can our eyes see that Christ is valuable above all else? It's not easy to do in this world. How can we be freed from the slavery of passing things? Well, it takes a miracle of God to give us that sight. It takes God stepping in to free us from our bondage to the things of this world so that we can see Jesus as Paul did. You get to the point where you see everything else as garbage compared to Christ. We'll talk more about that heart change in a few minutes. For now, let's turn to Jesus' teaching on worry, which is linked to what we worship. He begins in verse 25 with the word, therefore. So, based on everything he's told us before... He commands us not to be anxious. Verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? We'd probably love it if food and clothing were all we had to worry about. But we have so many things to add to that list. Think about how much space worry occupies in your head. Even if you worship Christ above all earthly treasures, you still have to live in this world. You still have concerns here. You have needs. Jesus doesn't want you to be anxious about these needs. He says, lay up treasures in heaven, but also don't worry about necessities because your Father has you well taken care of. So he uses two illustrations from nature. Are you worried about food and drink? Look at the birds. They don't plant things or harvest anything, but your heavenly Father feeds them. I don't know if you saw this morning, there were like thousands of birds out in this field. They're, they're not worried. They're going about their business. They, they're going to eat and they're going to be fine. God takes care of them. Are you not more important than the birds? Of course we are. And then Jesus asks, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? You can't accomplish anything by worrying. You can't add to your life by worrying about it. You can trust God to provide what you need. Are you worried about other needs? Clothes. I, I don't think he's talking about fashion, I'm not worried about being most fashionable. He's speaking of clothing as shelter. Verse 28 Consider the lilies. Flowers are beautifully clothed without working for their garments. God takes care of plants and they're disposable. How much more will he take care of us? Verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? This is the hand-wringing we do when we're uncertain about things. It it comes out, it's reflected in our speech. What are we going to do? Jesus says, Don't do this, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. He's speaking to a Jewish audience here, so what he means is, if you're consumed about, worry about these things, you're no different from people who don't know God. You're no different from unbelievers who don't have good eyes to see past the earthly things. So he gives us comfort along with this command. He says the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Your Father isn't blind to your needs. It's comforting to know that he's aware of them. So I want to recap. Jesus has made three therefore statements. The first one, because of verses 19 through 24, because you should lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth, because you want to serve God and not money, therefore, don't get bogged down with worry about the things of this life, even the necessities. The second one, because you're more precious to your Father than birds and plants, therefore, don't get mired in anxiety about the things of this life. You act just like someone who doesn't know God if you live that way. Seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. Live for what is most valuable. And because all these things are true, then verse 34, Therefore, it's no use worrying about the future. Your worship of God and your confidence in Him allows you to focus on today's troubles, on the present. Jesus commands that under God's loving care we keep our spiritual needs the priority. That's the most important thing. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and And all these things will be added to you. To seek is to diligently chase something. We concern ourselves with that thing. So instead of seeking after worries, Christians seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. In other words, being part of the people that God loves is most important. To live in God's kingdom is most important. Having the righteousness of God is most important. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but to me... Having the righteousness of God to seek that righteousness could definitely lead to a life filled with anxiety. If God's the highest good, if He's ultimately good, His character's one of ultimate righteousness, then seeking it seems to be a tireless pursuit. How can that possibly lead to a life of peace and not anxiety? All this talk about laying up spiritual treasures in heaven and seeking God's righteousness, it could sound like we should try to earn God's favor. Many people have made this Sermon on the Mount into a bunch of morals to follow. To be sure, Jesus sure sets forth moral standards here, but they're impossibly high. We can't do them on our own. Jesus is the only one who ever reached them. He's perfectly lived out these commands. He trusted his Father every day and for his whole life. We can't do this on our own. We're naturally blind to what is good, and we naturally are unrighteous. But again, your father knows your needs. It was going to become clear to the people that Jesus was talking to that he himself would be the way they would seek God's righteousness. It's clear to us looking back that Jesus is the way to God's righteousness. God sent Jesus to live perfectly as we should. He lived his life truly centered on his father, God. He lived as we cannot. We deserve separation from God for all eternity because we are unrighteous. Yet through Jesus' death in our place, He absorbs the wrath of God. He takes our unrighteousness upon Him. He bore the shame of it on the cross. And now we can have the forgiveness of God and God's acceptance. If you place your faith in Christ for what He's accomplished on your behalf, God counts Christ's righteousness as if It was your own. That's how you rest. That's how your life can be free of anxiety. You seek God's kingdom and his righteousness through Christ only. We can begin to be righteous once we're resting in Christ's accomplished righteousness. Christ tells us this way, the way to live in God's kingdom, but he's the only one who can usher us into it. So we depend on him. His finished work on our behalf is what makes it possible for us to value Him above everything. That's how our hearts are changed. That's how our eyes are opened. That's how we can serve God as our one true master and not be sidetracked by money or anything else in this world. Christ makes it possible for us to trust God as a loving Father, not be anxious. Our joy and rest in God's acceptance and His care leads to our obeying Him. Our obedience is the result of God's favor on us. It's not the way we earn God's favor. So, if we have God's acceptance through Jesus, in what ways can we apply this? What what ways can we obey as a result of God being pleased with us and allowing us to enter into the rest of Christ's righteousness? First, know Christ. Make that the greatest goal of your life. Is that the greatest goal of your life? Are you sidetracked by the things of this world? Have you unwittingly become centered on them? Second, replace worry about your future with trust in God the Father's provision for you. That is so much easier to say than to do because we have trained our minds to worry. You, you train your your patterns of thoughts and and the way your heart is wired. It's going to take effort on your part to center your heart on Jesus' words. It takes deliberately thinking of God as your loving Father instead of obeying that temptation to worry. It means knowing God more fully through what He's revealed to us. This is hardly the only passage in Scripture about worry and about God providing for us. We grow to know God as our Father more fully through His Word and by walking with Him. And we learn to trust Him with our future. That doesn't mean we don't plan our lives well or work hard or run our businesses properly or get good grades for a good education. It doesn't mean forget this world, just live for heaven. Living for the kingdom of heaven affects our here and now. But those things become a means to living in God's kingdom. To live as redeemed people who are seeking God's righteousness through Jesus. Um, Let's look at a really practical collision of these two ideas of laying up treasures and not being anxious. Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. By all these things, he means all those things, the needs you want to worry about. So this can be kind of problematic. Does this mean there aren't poor Christians out there suffering loss and starvation? No, there, there are. So what about them? Here's where these two things collide in a really practical way. How has God blessed you with the ability to help meet the needs of others? Do you ultimately worship God? And does that lead to being generous in the lives of people? The Apostle Paul says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what good can you do? In what ways can you be the very fulfillment of Christ's assuring words about provision? We have a responsibility It affects the here and now. Uh, Anytime you hear of God miraculously providing material needs to someone, or um, I remember Bob Cathell stood up and told of his boss providing a bonus when they needed it most in his family. Anytime you hear stories like that, someone had to be the answer to, to that prayer and the answer to Jesus' promises here, whether they did it intentionally with that in mind or not. So understand what Jesus always seems to do, which is help shift your focus off yourself and onto others. That's what this life is for. We worship God and that affects our love for people. If you're here and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you aren't yet resting in Christ's righteousness, ponder the goodness of God as a Heavenly Father who provides for His children. If you desire to be under his care and to be free to live for what's truly valuable, namely him, then come to Christ. Trust in his work of perfect obedience and death and resurrection on your behalf. And Christ's righteousness can then be yours. Live for the kingdom of God. Live as one delivered from a heart of blindness to what's ultimately valuable. God has taken care of our greatest spiritual need. Jesus has redeemed us to be members of Christ, of God's kingdom, clothed in His righteousness and free to be truly righteous. So if He's provided our greatest spiritual need, let's trust Him to provide everything we need to live in this world. Seek God's kingdom and His righteousness in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would make us people that live for You, that lay up treasures in heaven. I pray that that would free us from being anxious, that every day would be affected by this this news that, that you are going to provide for us, that you have our best spiritual interests in mind so we don't have to be concerned with these things of the world. I pray that for anyone here who has not yet placed their faith in Christ that that you would allow them to see you as truly valuable that they would turn to you we pray these things in Jesus name amen